Volume Two, Part Four, Chapter One of War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Nathan Haskell Dole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Chapter One. The biblical tradition tells us that absence of work, idleness, constituted the first man's happiness before the fall. A love for idleness remains just the same even in fallen man but the curse still hangs over mankind and it is impossible for us to be slothful and easy-going not alone because we are required to earn our bread in the sweat of our brow but by the very conditions of our moral nature a secret voice warns us that to be idle is for us a sin if it were possible for a man to find a situation where he could feel that he was of use in the world and fulfilling his duty while still remaining idle he would have found one of the conditions of primeval bliss. And such a condition of obligatory and irreproachable idleness is enjoyed by a whole class of society, the military. And this state of obligatory and irreproachable idleness has always been and will be the chief attraction of military service. Nikolai Rostov had been enjoying this felicity to the full, having continued since 1807 to serve in the Pavlograd Regiment, he was now commander of the squadron of which Denisov had been deprived. Rostov had grown into a rather rough but kindly young fellow, whom his Moscow acquaintances would have found sufficiently mauvais genre, but who was loved and respected by his comrades, his subordinates as well as his superiors, and he was well satisfied with his existence. Latterly, in 1809, in letters from home, he had found more and more frequent complaints from his mother that their pecuniary affairs were going from bad to worse, and that it would be seasonable for him to come home and give his old parents some joy and consolation. In reading over these letters, Nikolai felt a sensation of alarm at the thought of being torn from the condition of life where he found himself so quiet and tranquil, far removed from the busy turmoil of society. He had a presentiment that, sooner or later, he should be dragged again into that whirlpool of life, with its wasteful expenditure and rearrangement of affairs, with its accounts to verify, with its quarrels, intrigues, obligations, with the demands of society, and with Sonya's love, and the necessity of an explanation. All this was terribly difficult and confused, and he answered his mother's letters with cold formality, beginning, Mon cher maman, and concluding with, Votre obéissant fils, and studiously refrained from setting any time for his return home. In 1810 he received a letter from his parents who informed him of the engagement between Natasha and Bolkonsky, and that the wedding was put off for a year, on account of the old prince refusing his sanction. This news grieved and disgusted Nikolai. In the first place he was pained at the thought of losing Natasha from the household, for he was fonder of her than the other members of the family. In the second place he was annoyed, from his point of view as a hussar, that he had not been on hand to make this Bolkonsky understand that this alliance was not a very great honor, and that if he loved Natasha he might have married her, even without his scatter-brained father's consent. For a moment he almost made up his mind to ask for a leave of absence, so as to see Natasha before she was married. But just then came the army maneuvers. He remembered Sonya and the various entanglements, and once more he postponed it. But in the spring of that same year he received a letter from his mother, who wrote without the Count's knowledge, and this letter prompted him to go. She wrote that if he did not come, and did not assume the management of their affairs, their whole property would have to be sold by auction, and they would all be thrown upon the world. The Count was so weak, he had so much confidence in Matenka, he was so good-natured and so easily cheated by everyone, that everything was going from bad to worse. 
for god's sake i beg of you come immediately unless you wish to make me and all the family unhappy wrote the countess this letter had its effect upon nikolai he was possessed of the sound common sense of mediocrity and it told him that this was his duty now it was requisite that he should go on leave of absence if not upon the retired list he could not have explained why he had to go but after his siesta he commanded his roan stallion mars to be saddled he had not been out for a long time and was at any time a terribly fiery steed and when he brought him home all in a lather he explained to lavrushka denisof's man had stayed on with rostof and to his comrades who dropped in that afternoon that he had obtained leave of absence and was going home how hard it was for him to realize that he was going to absent himself from army life the only thing that especially interested him and failed to find whether he had been promoted or granted the anna for the last manoeuvres how strange it was to think that he was going away before he had sold that troika or three-span of roans to the polish count holuchowski which they had been negotiating about and which rostof had wagered would bring two thousand roubles how impossible to realize that he should miss the ball which the hussars were going to give to the panic pazjeka in order to pique the uhlans who had given a ball to their pane borozhowska he knew that he must leave go away from all this bright pleasant existence and go where everything was trouble and turmoil at the end of a week he was granted his leave of absence his comrades of the hussars not only those of his regiment but the whole brigade gave him a dinner which cost them fifteen roubles a head they had two bands to play and two choruses to sing for them rostof danced the trebaka with major basov the tipsy officers tossed him embraced him and deposited him on the ground again the soldiers of the third squadron once more tossed him and cried hurrah then they carried him to his sledge and escorted him as far as the first station as is usually the case rostof's thoughts during the first half of his journey from kremenchung to kiev were retrospective of matters connected with his squadron but after he had passed the half-way he began to forget about the troika of rones his quartermaster dozhevyek and anxious questions began to arise in his mind as to what he should find at otradnoya the nearer he came to his home the more powerfully he was affected by his forebodings as though this mental state were based upon the same law as that of the swiftness of falling bodies being according to the square of the distance at odrenoya station he gave the driver three roubles for vodka and all out of breath rushed up the steps of the old home like a schoolboy after the first enthusiastic greetings and after that strange sense of vague disappointment at the reality falling short of expectation everything is just the same why then have i hastened so nikolai began to become wanted to the old home life again his father and mother were the same except that they had grown a trifle older he detected a peculiar restlessness about them and sometimes a slight coldness between them which was a new thing and which nikolai as soon as he discovered it attributed to the unfortunate condition of their affairs sonya was now about twenty years old she had reached the zenith of her beauty and gave no promise that she would ever surpass what she already was even thus she was pretty enough she simply breathed happiness and love from the moment that nikolai came home and this maiden's faithful unfaltering love for him had a delightful effect upon him nikolai was more than all surprised at petya and natasha 
Petya had grown into a tall, handsome, frolicsome, but still intelligent lad of thirteen, whose voice was already beginning to break. It was long before Nikolai could get over his amazement at Natasha, and he said, laughing, as he gazed at her, "'You're not at all the same person.' "'What? Have I changed for the worse?' "'Quite the contrary. But what dignity, princess,' said he in a whisper. Footnote. The point of this lies in his calling her Kinyaginya, the title of a married princess, as Kinyeshkna is that of an unmarried one. End of footnote. Yes, 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 exclaimed Natasha gleefully. Natasha told him her romance with Prince Andrei, and about his visit to Otranoya, and showed him her last letter from him. Tell me, are you not glad for me? she asked. I am so calm, so happy now. Yes, very glad, replied Nikolai. He is a splendid man. And are you very much in love with him? How can I tell you, replied Natasha. I was in love with Boris, and with my teacher, and with Denisov, and— But this is not at all the same. My mind is serene and decided. I know that there is not a better man to be found, and so I feel perfectly calm and happy. It is entirely different from what it used to be. Before— Nikolai expressed to Natasha his dissatisfaction that the wedding was to be postponed a year, but Natasha, with some show of exasperation, contending that it could not have been otherwise, that it would have been disgraceful to force her way into a family against his father's will, and that she herself had insisted upon it. "'You don't in the least, in the least, understand the necessities of the case,' said she. Nikolai said no more, and acquiesced. He often marvelled as he looked at her. She was absolutely unlike a girl deeply in love and separated from her betrothed. Her temper was calm and even, and she was as merry as in days gone by. This was a surprise to Nikolai, and even made him look with some incredulity at her engagement with Bolkonsky. He could not make up his mind that her fate was as yet fully decided, the more from the fact that he had not seen Prince Andrei with her. It seemed to him all the time that there was something that was not as it should be in this proposed marriage. Why this postponement? Why are they not formally betrothed? he asked himself. Once, when speaking with his mother about his sister, he found to his surprise, and to a certain degree his satisfaction, that his mother also did not in the depths of her heart feel any great confidence in the engagement. This is what he writes, said she, showing her son a letter which she had received from Prince Andrei, with that secret feeling of discontent which a mother always has toward her daughter's future married happiness. He writes that he will not be back before December. What do you suppose can detain him so? It must be he is ill. His health is very delicate. Do not say anything to Natasha. Don't be surprised that she is happy. These are the last days of her girlhood, and I know how it affects her whenever we get a letter from him. However, it is all in God's hands, and all will be well, she concluded, adding as usual, he is a splendid man. End of chapter 1